I am rather embarrassed, General Solo, but it appears you are to be the main course at a banquet in honor of Faking Star Wars Radio, the official podcast of FakingStarWars.net. That's right, we have another fantastic episode for you today. This one is all about Ewoks. That's right, those cuddly little bear-like creatures from Return of the Jedi. We are going to devote the entire episode to discussing Ewoks. We actually do have a few surprises. We have an interview with Kurt, uh, who is Star Wars poet on Twitter, who's going to read us some of his wonderful Star Wars-themed limericks and haiku. And we have a duel of the fakes, a few other surprises, and a warm place by the fire for you to cuddle up with your favorite Ewok. So don't go away. With me today is my fantastic co-host, IG69. IG, how are you doing on this May the 4th? Uh, nub nub. Nub nub. Well, may the 4th be with you. I hope that you had a nice time celebrating. I did the same thing I do every May 4th. And what's that? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> you don't have any other friends to celebrate with, I guess. So, um, you know, on a sad note, however, uh, we do need to talk about the unfortunate passing of uh, Mr. Peter Mayhew. Uh, he died earlier this week. I think it was April 30th. Uh, we're recording this on May the 4th. Just a stand-up man, a wonderful, uh, warm-hearted individual. A lot of people have uh, expressed their condolences. Um, and we here at Faking Star Wars would like to do the same. And we've tried to retweet uh, and and get some publicity to his actual charity uh, that he has. Um, the name of the charity is the Peter Mayhew Foundation dot org. Um, and if you go on uh, Willie Bobo's uh, Twitter, he's at Faking Star Wars. Um, he he wrote, "Rest in peace, Peter Mayhew. Thanks for the wonderful performances. May the force be with you, Chewie." And asked us to consider making a donation to honor Peter and his charity. So um, if that's something you'd like to do to, uh, you know, help keep uh, the galaxy afloat in this time of loss, uh, we would really appreciate it here at Faking Star Wars. Just a stand-up individual. Did you ever get to meet him, IG? Uh, I did not, um, but he will be missed. Yeah, I always wanted to. Um, you know, he was he really loved the fans and he loved Star Wars. And I'm sure that his wife, you know, uh, is going to really miss him and his family. Uh, so our thoughts and prayers are with him. Uh, you know, but anyway, moving along, um, I, I did want to talk about May the 4th. Uh, I'm sorry that you didn't have anyone to celebrate with. I, on the other hand, did. Uh, I actually was able to go to a uh, college baseball game today, and they themed the entire game around Star Wars. So there were some people there from the 501st. I got my picture with them. They recognized me immediately when I walked in, of course, and came running over. Um and they had, you know, Star Wars music playing during the uh, the batting, like in between batters uh, instead of the typical organ. Um, they even had Star Wars trivia on the field in between innings. So it was a really good time. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, at what point did the Death Star destroy the entire game? <laughs> Unfortunately, our team didn't win, uh, so that was tantamount to that happening. But it's uh, it's been a trend going on now for a long time on May the 4th that sports teams will start theming their game around Star Wars. And it really got me thinking about, you know, what would happen if they did the reverse, right? So instead of Star Wars invading your favorite sports event... What if, uh, say, uh, in December 20th, when uh, <laughs> Rise of Skywalker comes out, you know, uh, the movie's starting, the credits start to roll up, and instead of uh, John Williams' theme, you hear, take me out to the ball game, take me out to the crowd, you know, and, like halfway through, like, um, a, t a baseball team comes in and starts, like, warming up and hitting some balls, 
bunting down the aisle, you know? I, I don't know. Like, do you think that would really take? Uh, I think it should be more like um, like at cons and stuff. You have everyone dressed up in, like, football and baseball uniforms instead. Because <laughs> people would go there really like, oh, I'm going to see stormtroopers. And instead, it's just going to be like a baseball player with a blaster. <laughs> right, right. Or like yeah. a football team, you know, they could run their plays like at the conference because, you know, what better place to do it than on the wide open uh, conference floors? So anyway, I, I just have a feeling this idea might not be taken up. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, if you were out there and you had some fun on May the 4th uh, going to a sporting event or something like that, uh, put your pictures online and tag us at Faking Star Wars or myself at Storm Duper on Twitter and we'll share them around. We'd love to hear from you. Hardest working squid in the galaxy. The Empire fears you like Patton. The second Death Star you helped flatten. Your tactics unequaled, you got in the sequels. You're dead now, but still part of canon. Do you remember our uh, Rosetta Stone Shiriwook edition from a while back? How could I forget? I still wake up screaming sometimes in the middle of the night. Me too, but for different reasons. Anyway, um, it turns out that not only was that a very popular um, product that was used widely here on Earth, but it's actually gone galactic. Really? Yeah. Um, It turns out that there are other races that are trying to learn our languages as well. Oh, kind of like a flipperoo. Yeah. I mean, so basically, like, um, Rosetta Stone is now an intergalactic uh, corporation that is um, providing language tra- um, training services for a variety of species. Amazing. I mean, you can still use a secret code word goober to get a discount, um, can't you? Oh, always, always. Oh, um, so, uh, you know, this being our Ewok edition, I thought I would uh, take a look at some of the Ewok classes um, from the prestigious Southern Endor Academy. Interesting. So what languages are Ewoks interested in learning? Rather than tell you, uh, why don't uh, you take a listen and then see if you can tell what language they are translating from Ewokese into an Earth language. Yes. Okay, so let's listen to the first one here. Um, so yes, absolutely. He's studying Spanish, and of course, um, they've taken a lot of phrases from popular media. He's sort of got a Chicano Spanglish Ewokese thing going on there. It's quite sexy, actually. I think so. Cool. Well, hit me with the next one. All right. So here is another clip, and try to guess what language he is trying to speak. <laughs> So, Storm Duper, uh, what do you think he was trying to speak there? Well, based on my experience in different sushi restaurants and ramen noodle shops in Tokyo, I would say that's uh, Japanese. Yeah, of course. Actually, what he was saying was, thank you, Mr. Robot, which, of course, uh, we all know that Ewoks worship droids, as they all should. Everyone should, really. Makes sense. That must be one of the first uh, phrases that they look for in any language that they're studying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, the, it must be uh, very useful for them. So, so Ewoks uh, are demonstrating their true intelligence. I mean, they they actually, you know, they're not just a, a forest species that can fashion uh, primitive tools, but they actually do have the intellect to learn other languages. Um, I mean, they're probably not the only creatures in the galaxy who would like to be learning a terrestrial um, linguistic. Code. Well, no, as more and more species um, are moving about the galaxy, uh, uh, several other. Uh, species have taken advantage of this. In fact, uh, one, of course, is the Rancor. 
Um, many people think it's just a mindless monster that lives in a cave and devours people. Uh, but one um, one Rancor has actually been hired by the UN um, as a Russian translator. He's so fluent uh, that he now translates Russian into Rancor for the greater Rancor population. Wow, so he's like Putin's right-hand translator then, huh? Yeah, exactly. He He's at all of the conferences and um, provides a translation. Wow. And, and, and both ways. Okay, uh, that's Putin. Let's hear the let's hear the rancor. Wow, yeah, sounds great. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's that's pretty flawless. I mean, of course, you know, you, I think you should abbreviate a few things there. If but, I didn't you know, know yeah. any better, I, mean, I would have good. said he was a native speaker of Russian. Yeah, obviously, this product is working for a lot of people and. Um, miscellaneous uh, life forms out there so well thanks for sharing it with us ig do you love rocks of course you do at crazy rabbins rock emporium we have endor's finest selection of rocks stones and boulders we have big rocks small rocks shiny rocks magic rocks geos and more need a new cutting rock we got you covered need a rock to hold down those pesky papers we got that too rocks for every conceivable use in every conceivable color except gray and at prices so low, you'll think we are stoned. So come on down. You can find us in the industrial district off Forest Path 5, across from Logray's Stick Warehouse. Do all of the face. Do all of the face. IG, a podcast dedicated to uh, Ewoks would not be complete without an edition of Duel of the Fakes. Isn't that right? Uh, for once, you're right as rain, duper. Uh, the noble savages deserve as much. If you ask me, Ewoks deserve their very own podcast, too. Oh, well, that's something we'll have to think about. Um, although some of the other alien species might get really upset. I mean, since we really only cater to humanoids right now. Uh, maybe you're right. Uh, Yubnub Radio, we'll have to wait for now. I guess until then, we've always got our own annual Ewok episode of Faking Star Wars Radio to look forward to. Speaking of which, uh, back to the game. Here's how Duel of the Fakes works. Um, I'm going to rattle off three news stories, uh, all including Ewoks, which should all be fake. However, there is one true story hiding in the midst. And it's your job, IG, to guess which story is the real imposter. And boy, oh boy, is it fun watching you squirm and rack your brain for the correct answer. Uh, feel free to play along at home or in your car, from your treehouse, wherever. Well, keep in mind, Storm Duper, I am a professional duel of the faker. Just not a very good one. You're right. You're batting, I think, about ooh, 200 maybe so far for this season. So you're going to want to improve that. <laughs> I think I've been a little better this season than last season. Last season was awful. Yeah, well, it took you an entire season to just learn the rules. So well, whose fault is that? Are you ready? Does an Ewok go in the woods? I've got this. By the way, I'm dedicating this Duel of Fakes performance to my wife. I love you. Well, I mean. I know. I would if she were real so story number one in november of 2018 evidence of ewok like creatures was discovered outside a cave system in thailand the video taken featured a group of three to four foot furry creatures which turned out to be a new species of chinchilla with the ability to walk on two legs instead of four. Like a Pikachu. Have you ever been to Thailand, IG? Yes, I have, several times. Oh, did you see any of these when you were there? I mean, that would wrap up Duel of the Fakes right here if you did. I did not, but um, no. 
that okay. I did not happen to see any um, any Pikachus. So we've still got a game going here. Well, uh, on to our second Ewok story that should be fake but could be true. While hosting Saturday Night Live's 44th season opener in 2018, Adam Driver claimed Ewoks were real during his monologue, going so far as to state where you could find them. According to the Kylo Ren actor, you would have to take a plane to a small town in Michigan. Afterwards, an enterprising company in Michigan printed a t-shirt that celebrated Driver's claim, proudly stating that Ewoks are real and alive in Traverse City, Michigan. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're real. I mean, they're in (laughs) like three movies, and they clearly live in Endor, not Michigan. Yeah, they didn't have the CGI technology back then, so I mean, yeah. yeah. This is why Kylo Ren gets like his ass whooped by right. like untrained force girls. Two down, one to go. Remember, this should be a fake story, but it mm-hmm. might be real. Tread carefully lest you step on a booby trap. Mm-hmm. In a forthcoming comic book limited series, we'll finally learn why the Ewoks happened to have a dress that fit Leia perfectly in The Return of the Jedi. According to the preview description... 20 years before episode 6, a princess is left on the forest moon of Endor to die thanks to her evil brother who wants to be the only heir to their parents' kingdom. Things don't go as the villain planned, though. The cannibalistic Ewoks don't eat his sister. In fact, they take pity on her and take her in. Over the next few weeks, she learns survival techniques and becomes skilled in archery and swordplay with the help of the Ewoks. The series culminates as the princess returns to her home planet taking revenge on her evil brother. As a thank you, the princess leaves several dresses and rare jewelry with the Ewoks who vow to never forget her. Fascinating. Wow. You know, I always had wondered about that uh, dress. How did the Ewoks have a gown of such uh, elegance there in their treehouse? Well, I mean, uh, honestly, it's not really a princess's dress, is it? It's, It's like a common house dress-ish kind of thing, but pocahontas But still, why would the Ewoks have had that? Well, why wouldn't it just be like the, maybe uh, one of the Tawani, like the Tawani mothers, um, I forget her name, um, from the Ewok movies. Why didn't, like they lived with the Ewoks in that village, and then they were murdered, so why wouldn't it have just been some leftover clothes that they had uh, left there, you know? Are you referring to the Ewok Caravan of Courage or Battle for Endor films? Battle for Endor is where they got killed, but, of course, they showed up in Caravan of Courage. Basically, you're saying that those characters were on Endor and left some clothing along. Well, that's kind of what the story is saying, I guess. Well, I mean, their ship crashed there and with all their personal possessions. Why not just leave it there? They weren't princesses, though. Right. right. They weren't royalty. They were just a random family whose ship uh, crashed. So let's recap. We got the Ewok-like creatures on Thailand a few years ago, and Adam Driver's mm-hmm. um, monologue detailing where the Ewoks live and a company printing shirts regarding his announcement, mm-hmm. and a new comic explaining why the Ewoks had a dress that fit Leia perfectly. What's it going to be, IG? Well, I think uh, a new comic explaining the dress is absolutely ridiculous. Um, however, it's something they would do just like um, – trying to correct the uh the plot holes in other films like the uh the parsecs uh faux pas that uh han solo said there have been a lot of new uh, comic things i mean yeah. there there like, even is a uh porkins and um uh biggs comic where they go on vacation 
Well, uh, yes. So I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind a comic. I don't mind a comic that tries to flush out a minor character, but this is trying to explain one plot hole in a movie by writing something about it, which is so ridiculous that I think that one is actually true. Huh? It may. It I may think. Well be. I think it's so stupid. But it's exactly the thing the that Star Wars thing. has done with every other movie. We might have Matt Martin to thank for that, who's the uh, comic uh, extraordinaire expert on the Lucasfilm Story Group. Mm-hmm. So if yep. he's listening, you know, we're not trying to deride you. But no, no one needs to know where that dress came from. Um, there could have been lots of explanations for that, but I can absolutely see taking that one detail that sort of irritated fans way back in the day. And writing a whole comic book about some, like, absolutely ridiculous backstory to explain a dress being in the Ewok village. I, yes, that's the one I'm going to pick because I think that is something that's so stupid it must be real. Sorry, but the correct answer is actually number two. No! Uh, Which is, um, you know, about uh, about Adam Driver's announcement on Saturday Night Live. But so. nothing lives in Michigan. Why would you claim that? <laughs> yeah, I know. And actually, there is one shirt that was printed. Um, it's called Mr. Bill's Shirt Company uh, in Michigan, and they printed the gag T-shirt to display on their storefront. And uh, the reason it was just a one-of-a-kind was because the owner did not want to get sued by Disney. Mm. So, well, okay, this go. slightly redeems my faith in humanity then. I guess I, I can be wrong about this one. That's fine. Well, I wouldn't go I, that I, far yet. I because... usually I usually pick the one that I think, oh, I wish that was true. And then this one was like, oh, I hope this is false, but it's so dumb. Right. Someone's probably doing it. Okay, well, thanks for playing, and we'll see you at the next edition of Duel of the Fakes. So... I, I will lose again. Duel of the Fakes. Duel. It's been busy in the Twitterverse this week. Uh, We've started a uh, caption contest, IG. Oh, really? So uh, tell me about that, Stormtrooper. Yeah, well, Willie Bobo at Faking Star Wars posted a picture of Kylo Ren uh, looking very upset or consternated from The Last Jedi when he's angry at his Uncle Luke. The uh, contest was to caption this, and you could win a chance to win a Porg urinal from our YouTube channel. And we got a lot of great replies uh, to this contest. Um, For example, uh, Angus O'Hara said, The Chipotle Strikes Back. Um, A couple other good ones were, uh, I'm trying to watch the Golden Girls. Um, Get me my Preparation H. That's a pretty good one. Um, It burns. So a lot of great replies here to this. uh, But the winner came to us with the most likes, came to us from Bad Frankenstein, who is at Frankenstein Bad on Twitter, a very talented monster artist in his or her own right, um, who wrote The Rise of Constipation. So mm. that's our winner for this uh, edition of our capture a caption contest on twitter and we'll be uh, doing this from time to time in the future if you have any ideas for a caption contest if you have a good image from star wars send it to us at storm duper or at faking star wars um and we'll be sure to use it uh do you think constipation is a thing in the galaxy well i mean when you can die from lack of will to live i assume they haven't fixed many common medical ailments yeah right 
Well, I I I thought with like a blue mo- blue milk bantha uh, diet um, that you know you things would generally be fairly loose and regular, but I guess Kylo in his haste to attack his um, uncle may have forgotten to drink drink his uh, breakfast milk. Kylo doesn't drink blue milk. <laughs> Got Kylo. Easy Rider. I jump on my bike and take flight. Speeding through trees day and night. I can sit in my kit. This job's such a great fit. Where the hell did these bears learn to fight? All right, great. Well, uh, we're, we're back and we're thrilled to have with us um, our guest. Uh, you may know him from his uh, Twitter uh, account, uh, Star Wars Poetry. Um, We'll just call him Curtis for today as well. But uh, Star Wars poetry is a genre of literature that has not really been explored too much. Uh, some bits in the expanded universe and, and other novels and things like that. But we are thrilled to sit down with Curtis today. Um, so, Curtis, could you just kind of tell us how did you get into writing Star Wars themed poetry? I feel like there is Star Wars everything and uh, Star Wars poetry just seemed like a uh, incredible find i think finding a a niche that is unexploited in today's uh world is very unusual it's like finding buried treasure and so i was really excited to find it so do you have do you have a background in poetry uh no actually my background is in veterinary medicine i did however grow up uh in the star wars era i saw uh, the first movie a new hope in uh, 77 as a 10 year old I had a father who occasionally would uh, write poetry uh, when I was a child and usually with a humorous bent. And so I sort of grew up thinking that uh, writing poetry was a pretty normal sort of thing that everyone did. So do you have do you have any inspirations that have that have helped you in your in your sort of developing this genre and and your account on on Twitter and Instagram? Um, I mean, I know that you were influenced from uh, you know my my own work of uh, you know I've created two poems for Chewbacca's Poetry <laughs> Hour. Uh, I you know and I know you were influenced by that. But do you have any other uh, streams of influence that have helped you or given you a little bit of guidance for how you've constructed these poems? Uh, yeah, so obviously, besides, uh, you know, the tremendous influence that you, uh, Storm Duper, were <laughs> on, on my work, uh, there were some other minor characters like uh, Dr. Seuss, mm. uh, Ogden Nash, uh, Shel Silverstein. These, I think, when I was a kid, these were names that loomed a little larger in the public consciousness than maybe they do today when we have so many different things competing for our attention. Very quickly, I realized I should narrow it down and just make it Star Wars poetry. There's a limitless uh, wealth of subjects. It's something I'm interested in. And I find that on Instagram that focused pages tend to do better uh niche very specific things where someone knows they can come to you for a poem about star wars it's a very specific thing 
and that seems to resonate better on Instagram, and that's where I was starting. So right, right. anyway, uh, that, well, that's, that's that. Inter- speaking of Instagram, I mean, I think you're getting into this idea about attention and people having so many competing voices now with with social media and and how it's it's kind of difficult maybe for people to experience literature in the same way that we might have before the age of the internet. Um, and you know, some of the names you mentioned, I mean, Ogden Nash, of course, and Shel Silverstein, I'm, I'm acquainted with, and I think some of our listeners audience might be but some people who are too young may not have had that uh, literary upbringing and so you have sort of uh, taken the internet and made it sort of a new media but also marrying it with the kind of shorter form poetry that you were speaking of um i mean how how did you develop that social media presence originally did you just did someone say to you hey put this on instagram or you just you were already tweeting (laughs) and you adapted your your sort of presence to the poetry or did it all kind of come come at once for you i wasn't really writing any poetry before uh, I started the page. I did it in a way where, you know, I didn't so much of um, social media now I feel like is just us patting each other on the back, our friends and acquaintances and being supportive. So I did it. uh, I did it in such a way that nobody knew me. I didn't tell any of my contacts, like nothing. I just started right. it from zero followers and, and just built it. So it's fantastic. We, we've done something similar here on the podcast and with the website, fakingstarwars.net. I mean, we are all anonymous. Uh, the reason for that is if we showed our faces, we would just get scores and scores of people following us just for our good looks alone. But we believe in the purity <laughs> of our art. And, I and understand. So yeah, you're in the same boat. So I appreciate right. the fact that you, you did build it up from the ground, you know, and, and using humor to do that has is just a great vehicle george lucas himself the maker i mean he has talked about star wars as being poetry in the sense that the prequels rhyme with the original trilogy and all that did you did you find that you appreciated some of louis lucas's poetry in the films and and has that influenced you and in how you've uh, created some of your poems uh i'm gonna i'm gonna come uh from left field with this answer and say not really. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I am, of course, I'm well aware of uh, what's been written, uh, you know, about right. uh, the poetry of the movies. The and, ring theory and uh, all the of ring that, theory, right? Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, the <laughs> ring theory and how they all interconnect. And But uh, I don't, when I'm watching Star Wars, I never think about that stuff. It just doesn't enter into it for me. And so, you know, I... Basically, some I people think whole... it shouldn't have entered into the prequels either. <laughs> <laughs> right. I look at uh, the landscape of social media and, you know, I follow a ton of poets. It's sort of the way you build your account when you're building from the ground up. A lot of Star Wars stuff and a lot of poetry stuff. So when I uh, look at my daily feed, uh, I'm I'm passing through a lot of poetry that is uh, related to uh, people's uh, relationships and their breakups and their emotions about that and their long form and they don't rhyme, they're blank verse. And uh, I'm trying to, uh, I'm a voice in the wilderness. I'm trying to supply an alternative to folks. I write only short form limerick and haiku, basically. So even when I read it out loud to people, it's 15 seconds or so. Uh, It's always funny or ironic or poignant. 
so there's a there's a payoff in a short in a small package, uh, and it's always Star Wars. So it's the kind of poetry that I would like to see popping up on my feed uh, more often. Well, with that in mind, we'd like to listen to one of your uh, your readings that you've done, uh, kind of for us. And I just, you know, like to play it for our audience, and then maybe if you could give us a little bit of background for how you came to to this idea for this poem. This is called "Is it Don't Cross an Ewok?" Is that right? The name, the title. Don't cross an Ewok. So why don't right. we just play it for our audience, and then you can you can talk about it a little bit. Don't cross an Ewok. Chilling on the fourth moon of Endor. Living in arboreal splendor. The empire steps wrong. Cuddly turns Viet Cong. The galaxy's latest defendors. I, I love the <laughs> rhyme there because you exaggerate it, you know, a little bit. The or right. kind of thing. And I mean, I think it, it that adds to the humor for me, at least. <laughs> right, right. So uh, that's a, a limerick when I read uh, a poem out loud on a podcast like this. Uh, or to someone, I, I usually will choose a limerick. I write a lot of haikus, and they actually are some of my more popular poems, but uh, the short form doesn't, tra- and the blank verse doesn't translate as well, uh, the humor of it without the visuals and the rest. So that's a limerick, and a, a limerick is a five-line poem the first, second, and fifth line are a little bit longer, and they rhyme. Lines one, two, and five rhyme, and then lines three and four are a little shorter, and they rhyme. Uh, so you really just have two sets of rhymes there. And when I wrote that one, and uh, and I wrote that one very recently, mm-hmm. uh, I I had the subject matter already. I knew I was going to write on Ewoks, and <laughs> I I usually set it up with just something kind of factual to get it going uh, or a lot of times I have the hook already so whether it's going to be a joke uh, or an irony or something that's revealed in the last line of the sentence whether it's haiku or limerick usually I'm turning the whole thing on that last line uh, so sure, sometimes sure. I'll have the last line first other times I have the subject first and because a lot of my work is collaborative, that is, these days, all of the posts that you will find on my uh, page uh, at Star Wars Poetry on Instagram or on any of the other social media sites that I use, uh, combine uh, some original artwork supplied by uh, a pool of professional uh, Star Wars artists that I work with that do a lot of sketch card art for tops and for various collecting card companies oh that's uh, great wow so yeah. that, that collaboration i think enriches the experience i mean i'm not going to be too pessimistic i doubt you're you're making millions of dollars off these poems yet there is a future <laughs> for that i mean uh we do we would you know we would like to talk to you about merchandising in terms of you know limerick t-shirts i think is a niche genre for clothing <laughs> apparel uh with faking star wars already having a t-shirt store you know that's right. something you might consider right. in the future if things do start to get a little bit lean um but right. <laughs> uh that collaboration and interaction with fans is something that if i'm not mistaken actually uh for you as a fan is is you're, you're more involved in star wars than just simply writing poetry isn't that right right so uh the star wars celebration chicago was the debut of a uh, costume that I had been uh, 
conceptualizing and working on over about a year's time, and that was to cosplay the island of Octo, uh, com- <laughs> complete, complete with uh, animatronic porgs front and back, and a some pork puppetry going on, and uh, uh, it topped off by some pork plush, and so. Uh, I had uh, I had developed this suit where, you know, I, I could sort of simulate the island with an understructure that uh, would uh, create perches for these animatronic porgs to sit <laughs> on, and, which is uh, technically a little more challenging than you might think. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, and then uh, and then. I built it kind of all down from a batting helmet and then cover the whole thing with uh, a this rock-looking shade cloth that is hanging down off of the batting helmet that creates the top of it. And then I built a, uh, a nest with a uh, little plush porg with porglets that was sort of above my head in the cosplay you got to put a cherry uh, I, on top of a costume like yes, that. Yes, yeah, I mean, right. That didn't that idea didn't did not come to me until fairly deep into the developing of the costume. Uh really it was just the rock with the animatronic porgs that I was mostly focused on and then I got the idea that I could take the innards out of one of these porgs and do uh, a little bit of sewing and create a pork hand puppet that matched the other porgs that were animatronic on the suit. So I, uh, I made a, an opening in the Octo uh, on the right side and, and uh, had my sleeve uh, painted up to match the rest of the island. And then I had this porg on my right hand where I could manipulate the mouth and, and make him look around and flap his wing. And, uh, I'm and glad you said hand, you know, for a minute there, I was getting flashbacks of like the whole, you know, popcorn bucket trick in the movie theater. And I was worried we were going to have to take away our PG 13 uh, rating, but well, that's such an elaborate costume. And I think, you know, people probably didn't appreciate the amount of time and creativity that came into designing a costume like that. Uh, I mean, the idea alone I think is worthy of an Oscar. Um, but just to see you take it through to its logical <laughs> conclusion, um, and, you know, have you gotten any more, you know, accolades or exposure as a result of, you know, this creative idea that, that nobody was expecting, right? I mean, this is out of left field. I mean, there were times where there were 20 people all taking pictures at the same time of the costume, which sort of blew my mind. And about 10 minutes into it, uh, I had a very nice young lady come up and say, Hey, I work for Lucasfilm. Uh, we'd like to take some pictures of the costume if you want to come. So we went down two escalators, which I had not planned on doing in the costume. Oh yeah, that uh, must have been and, tricky. Uh, went to a little private private photography studio they had set up down there and signed some releases, and then they took a bunch of pictures of the costume, which was super exciting for me and not even on my radar screen as a possibility right. when I was building it or showing up. And then I. Uh, Star Wars uh, Twitter picked up a small video of the costume and created a post that was just about the costume. And it got about 240,000 views at last count, which really helped boost my uh, Twitter account. Right. Well, they Uh, they definitely (laughs) uh, they definitely put your Twitter. It's Star Wars Poet, right? That's your. That's right. Yeah. At Star Wars Poet. I think I had already seen your costume before Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars Twitter uh, 
uh, sent it out, but I didn't make the connection between the costume you and the poetry you uh, until right. I saw that tweet. And then I was like, oh, this is the same person. Wow, this is amazing. Um, <laughs> now, now, thinking about your poetry and your cosplaying, I mean, have you know you were talking about a lot you know a young lady coming up to you and you know have you ever gotten lucky in romance via one of your star wars enterprises here with poetry or cosplay or is that something that uh you know what happens on octo stays on octo i i i am uh deliriously happily married uh so well, i'm always you. lucky in romance uh, that's a great so, i'd love uh, to hear that <laughs> yeah, I don't uh I don't uh need nor nor find my Star Wars uh cosplay or poetry <laughs> to uh have much overlap with my romantic uh life. So Good, good. Well, well, that would be a complexity maybe and would, might inhibit your creativity in the future. So, you know, um, so thinking about the future as you've developed, you know, the site, I know you're you're set to hit over 100 uh, poems maybe next month. Um, there's there's going to be a whole lot of new cosplay available. Uh, like, for example, I mean, Claude from uh, from the Rise of Skywalker, that big worm looking creature. There's all kinds of new <laughs> stuff that we can expect in the future. Um you know what are you what are you planning where are you where do you see yourself going uh you know what it's going to be like your next weird star wars cosplay and how can we join in the fun i don't know that i will ever hit the sort of uh realms uh that i managed to sort of happen into with the octo cosplay <laughs> i certainly wasn't thinking that way when i uh built it but it has been a very nice Thing for sure uh, I've really appreciated uh, so much uh, positive attention from it uh, I, I'd say probably going forward uh, it's really mostly about uh, the poetry accounts uh, right now there's over 75 original works on the site you don't have to go back and read through 75 Star Wars poems to be caught up with everyone you can uh, you can just follow along. I post uh, every weekday. There's always something new, always something funny. Uh, and uh, and there will continue to be the next series of poems I'm imagining will probably reach 30 at least. And so we'll go over the 100 original works, Mark, uh, with this next series of poems. I'm already well into identifying artwork and uh, and working up uh, topics for poems. So. Great, great. Well, um, you know, let our fans know then out, out in the Twitterverse, all our faker nation out there, how they can get a hold of you or how they can get to your content. I know you have a variety of different sites, but uh, just let people know how they can how they can get to you. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Star Wars Poet, on Instagram and Facebook at Star Wars Poetry. Always Star Wars, always poetry, always original work, posting daily. Oh, that's great. I like the fact that you have that daily, you know, thing uh, with something like this. It's small. I mean, you give people kind of a, a Star Wars vitamin every day. That's that's wonderful. Galactic Faking News. This is IG-69 reporting from the once forested moon of Endor. 36 years ago today, the remnants of an orbital space station being constructed above the planet fell in a rain of fiery death, destroying 90% of all life on this once vibrant world. The few survivors of what has become known as the Ewokalypse survived by huddling in caves while their world was destroyed around them. 
Now, you know, I, I never heard of that uh, part of the Ewok lore in Endor in any of the expanded universe or canon uh, properties. No, well, you see, the problem was is that after uh, after the uh, destruction of the Death Star, they all had a nice little party on Endor and then abruptly left and never, ever returned or looked back to this little world. Uh, they completely forgot about the Ewoks and anything that happened to them. So a few weeks later, suddenly... Um, this is Death Star fell like um, like rain upon the planet. Wow. I mean, I guess I could see that coming. I mean, the, the debris had to go somewhere, and we already know from the uh, Rise of uh, Skywalker trailer that there are there was debris on, on a planet. I mean, it may not be the same planet it is in uh, that movie, but, I mean, in this case... Well, there are multiple moons of Endor. I'm sure they all got a little bit of it, but... Um, right. But this one, this one particularly was bad. Anyway, it gets worse. It gets worse. So after the Ewokalypse, the Ewoks who did survive emerged from their caves and immediately became embittered in a religious feud between two factions known as the C-3Ponauts and the Anakins. The C-3Ponauts followed the teachings of a golden prophet who appeared shortly before the destruction, while the Anakins followed the teachings of a blue phantasmal being who shared his story with the Ewoks while they huddled in their caves. In the end, each sect destroyed themselves as the C-3Ponauts were divided about whether to cook or release captives at a banquet, while the Anakins could not decide whether their prophet was middle-aged or a younger man who looked like he should be a model in a clothing catalog. They were both united, however, when it came to their hatred of sand. Would an Ewok even know about sand? I mean, Endor is a pretty lush world. Um, yes, but as we've seen in the Ewok movies, there are desert regions. Oh, that's true. That's right. I forgot about that. And uh, um, Mace, uh, the lead actor in the first one, he actually gets stuck under a lake as he's kind of peering off you know, on the desert. So, oh, this, this is all coming together for me. It all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this brings us to modern day. Currently, the Ewoks live on a desolate world with, without enough food or clean water to survive. One in ten Ewoks has become mutated by the radioactive and toxic debris and now resembles a Cronenberg-esque blob of Ewok bits. They roam around the shattered forests feeding on the flesh of the living. Yeah, the only options left for the uh, remaining Ewoks is to sell themselves into slavery or prostitution to galactic pirates. Well, uh, I mean, this is not exactly, um, you know, the the made-for-kids sort of uh, thing that we would have expected. I guess I can see why they didn't, uh, you know, this hasn't been brought forward in, in other canon properties. No, well, I mean, no one wants to see the grisly after effects of war. And um, honestly, uh, these poor Ewoks here are just suffering. Um, uh, honestly, the, the, between the Empire and the Rebellion, um, that fight destroyed their entire world and their civilization. And um, neither, neither group seems to care. Huh. Do you think we could get somebody like um, that documentarian Michael Moore to maybe step in and try to work some magic and make the plight known of, of the Ewoks on Endor? I think I think that would be great. I mean, the descendants of the Rebellion, uh, the, the New Republic, and the, uh, and the Resistance, and the First Order both bear great responsibility for this tragedy, and I think someone should step up and, um, you know, do something about it. All right. Well, we uh, look forward to an update from you, hopefully, in the future on this uh, 
horrific turn of events in the last few years on, on the moon of Endor. Yeah, well, thank you. This is IG signing out. Galactic Taking News. Well, IG, uh, you may have heard that recently uh, Disney released uh, Blu-ray or DVD versions of the two made-for-TV Ewok movies, which I know you're a huge fan of. Well, I have recently watched both again. I uh, haven't seen them since I was a kid, so uh, it was good to revisit the Ewoks. Right. So remind our viewers, um, I think the first one, uh, Ewoks a Caravan of Courage, came out in 1985, so two years after Return of the Jedi. And Ewok, yes. the battle for – or I'm sorry, that was in 84, I believe. And, oh, yeah, you're right, 84. Yeah, and the battle for Endor came out the following year in 1985, so – Right, and you know that was actually interesting. Um, like they were making Star Wars content and then just stopped for a long, long time. Yeah. Even though these movies were relatively successful. Yeah, they were very popular. I remember watching them when I was young, and we even had them on videotape. Uh, so mm-hmm. you know, we we uh, had the advertisements all queued up, ready to skip over them and everything. So, um, you know. For our, for those of our listeners who haven't enjoyed uh, Ewok Caravan of Courage or the Battle for Endor, could you give us just like a fifteen second synopsis of the of the two films? the The first movie is a really really simple uh, simple story. It's basically a child's adventure. There's a family that has crashed on Endor. They the parents get kidnapped by a monster. The kids end up with the Ewoks. The Ewoks help the kids rescue the parents. Yeah, that's it. And there's sort yeah, of a bit of a Lord of the Rings sort of quest approach, right? Where very all, much. Yeah. All the uh, members of the party that go search for the parents, they all receive a special gift, and this sort of ties mm-hmm. into their character, right? Yep, yep. There's a, it's a magical journey. And right. very magical. Like, there's a lot of magic in these movies. The second film, uh, The Battle for Endor, a little bit more of a darker darker film, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, now, a little bit of research on this. Uh, George Lucas had watched Heidi... And he wanted a movie where the main character was the little girl. In the second movie, um, they want Sindel to be the main character. And so they murder the entire family in the first 15 minutes of the movie except Sindel. Because that's what kids want to see when they watch television is families getting murdered. (laughs) Oh, but on the plus side, in the second movie, Wicket learned English. Well, that's true. I'm sure he must have got some uh, Rosetta Stone so there's some uh, peculiarities about the film. I mean, uh, I do I do think that Warwick Davis uh, did play Wicket in both of the films. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. Um, there's a few other minor characters like uh, uh, Teak, who is the speedy Gonzalez of the indoor uh, uh, biosphere. Um, mm-hmm. He can run at a million miles an hour. Nothing else really develops with his character. He's sort of a little little uh, um, sidekick to to Noah who's the other human in the story in the second yeah. film. Played um, by Wilford Brimley. That's right, Wilford Brimley. So diabetes are canon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, speaking of canon, I think we should go over what is now Star Wars canon, the surprising canon um, additions to the Star Wars universe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because like, there are some animals in these movies that you're just kind of going, WTF? Like, what is this yes. doing in the movie? My yes. fa- I mean, the the opening scenes of the film display, like, livestock. I mean, there's, like, horses and ponies. I, I wrote them all down. There oh, are wonderful. 11. There are 11, 10 from the first movie and one addition in the second movie. Oh, great. Which is sort of an addition. So if you watch... Um, Caravan of Courage 
ferrets, ponies, horses, goats, llamas, rabbits, chickens, mice, one lizard, and owls are now all in the Star Wars universe. I don't remember the scene with the owl. Uh, there's one owl in the hut. He's kind of just sitting off to the side. Um, he's only in one scene. It's I, not... I literally stopped and replayed this to catch all the animals. Wow, you have a lot of luck going on in your life to be able to look for that level of detail. Now, is it Don't judge Storm Duper. <laughs> <laughs> so is it like is it like a live owl or is it like some yep. kind of tex- taxidermy stuffed owl that one of the Ewoks bought out of like a garage sale? No, no, it's 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 an actual owl that's sitting um sort of in the corner of the hut and it looks at uh, Mace when he's trying to eat something. I see. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So in the uh, first it, movie, the um, there's sort of this plot of this big monster creature, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I think has been explored maybe a few of the cartoons as well, um, and it's just basically a big giant. It's a giant, you know, like you would find in children's stories, like Jack and the Beanstalk. Yes. Um, yes. He's got a big axe uh, that a you know, stone axe. Yes, right, right. So, so we get this. You know, this is probably the largest monster in any Star Wars film, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the name of the monster is the Gorax, and this is one of my complaints of Caravan of Courage, is the monster is just a monster, be, like, seemingly a... He, he reminds me of the Greek myth of the Cyclops. Right, right. He where can't he, see like, well. he, he kidnaps people and keeps them in a cage and eats them at his leisure. Right, yeah. I always wondered, yeah. so so the, the idea in the movie is that the, the children are having to learn the ways of the Ewok, so there's a bit of a, a bit of a subtext about multiculturalism. I mean, they can't speak any Ewok language um, at all, and they don't even really try. I mean, I learned Ewok just watching the film. I learned a few trace words here, like Gunda, Yeha, whatever, but Sindel and mm-hmm. Mace, they don't make an effort. So, I mean, there's sort of this cultural superiority element, and I'm surprised that uh, the movie wasn't decried for being racist when it came out against Ewoks. Well, uh, actually, Sindel kind of did make an effort. Um, she she starts to communicate a little bit with the uh, the Ewoks and teaches them Wicked and some of the other ones some words in English, and then so, she so, but, can but See, that's what I'm better. saying, is that English is the dominant mode of communication but they are there on on the ewoks planet they should be trying to learn their their language right well they they're there's temporarily there um however like uh there is absolutely horrible like documentary style voiceover that explains what's going on in every scene so you can uh, you can always get what's going on by that yeah the voiceover is strange i mean it is a made for tv movie so one can assume a lower uh intelligence quotient from the audience i suppose they had to put the voiceover in for that reason oh. Ooh, I actually I disagree there, Storm Duper. I think this came about because of um, the holiday special. Really? The holiday special actually influenced Caravan of Courage significantly. Uh, George Lucas was on site with the Caravan of Courage um, like very frequently, and because he didn't want another TV disaster. Hmm. Um, hmm. So uh, his idea for the holiday special was that the Wookies would just speak their language. Right. Right. And the same thing here. The Ewoks only speak their native language, but there's voiceover to make sure everyone understands. Whereas with the holiday special, it's literally like two hours of Wookiee noises and you have no idea what anyone's really saying. Interesting theory. This is sort of a concession, if you will, to the audience Mm -hmm. uh, from Lucas, you know, otherwise doing just basically an Art Nouveau film. I mean, Mm -hmm. for all other, uh, you know, intents and purposes. So. 
And a, and a shout out to I believe okay I, I copied down her name from um, IMDb but it's uh, I believe uh, Marie Mine Rutka who actually created the Ewok language Ewokese. Oh sure, she she must have been yeah. on hand on on set. I'm sure, like when they were. Well, filming and how it. easy was it to understand the gist of what the Ewoks were saying after watching the movie for about twenty minutes? Right. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's obvious, right? So so you could yeah you really pick it up pretty quick um obviously she didn't fully flush it out but it when the ewoks are speaking you know what they're you know what they mean and that's really good props to her for developing that so you know the the first film um came about i guess a little bit as a surprise i mean nobody was really necessarily expecting a film about ewoks after return of the jedi came out um, but the film finishes with the children and the Ewoks saving the parents uh, from the Gorax. And now that's another strange thing because presumably they were traveling for weeks and weeks. I mean, they, they, they made friendships. They learned some of Ewok culture. Sindel recovered from a horrible illness, infectious agents yes. there on Endor. Who knows what it was? It could have been bubonic plague for all we know. Um, and, and the question remains, why did the Gorax leave the parents in that little birdcage hanging over them, ready to eat them for just an inordinate amount of time? Uh, did he forget they were there? Uh, you know, is, is this creature only eats every few weeks? Well, I believe that's called plot convenience. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, I mean, it is, like this truly struck me as a classic 80s kids movie. Mm -hmm. um, if I mean, we both grew up in the 80s and we're very familiar with uh, these movies, these like the children go on a grand adventure, a journey, and, they, you know, they don't keep logic tight. You right. know, it, the, the important thing is the kids are the protagonists. They're doing the thing that needs to be done and they're taking on the role and they're learning about responsibility and other things like like mace is just a jerk in this movie like i want to smack him upside the head so often but by the end of the movie he goes through an arc and he he learns to you know be less judgmental and also uh to appreciate all the help that he's being given mm. yeah even though he was com just so ungrateful from the start right uh he has sort of a superior attitude and i mean i think he he follows the trajectory of the kind of prodigal son almost in a way he comes back around to help the group well yeah and i think like but partly you can see this as a natural kid reaction his parents he believes that his parents have been um kidnapped because it's his fault and he's trying to be mom and dad and he doesn't know how Hmm. So I can kind of I, I can kind of see this as something like he's way over his head in everything that's happening. And, and um, uh, he's I would say probably over his poorly. head in his acting chops as well. Oh, well I, well, I mean, yes, that's the thing. Kid actors are not always the best. Yeah, uh, and we see this. We should uh, have seen. You should have, we should have seen this coming. I mean, you know, using Anakin, uh, Jake Lloyd in the in the, the Phantom Menace. I mean, thing. It was just sort of built up, right? I mean, we we went from uh, rebels to you know little Ewoks in Return of the Jedi, and then you get these kids in these movies, and the next thing, the main the main kid is a whiny six year old. It, like it, when I think of the the penultimate um, kids movie, it's the Goonies. Yeah. Like there if you're a child, especially a child of the eighties, there is no more magical adventure than that. They find pirate gold for God's sake. Um but the kids 
are the people doing the thing. Right. They are they are the main characters. When it comes to Battle for Endor, uh, Sindel's sort of the main character, but she never does anything because she's an eight-year-old girl who doesn't mm. know how to mm. do anything. So Wilford Brimley takes over and does all of the action. And in Phantom Menace, Jake Lloyd is just a kid who's there. I mean, he does accidentally blow up a ship, but he's not the character. He's not the guy who's active. He's not driving the story forward or accomplishing anything by his actions, wit, etc. If -hmm. you want to make a kid's movie, the kids have to be the main characters. And if they're not, it's not really... It can be a movie aimed at kids, but it's not a true children's movie. Sure, sure. So a whole host of problems, and the first one just alone in the in the Phantom Menace and and, the, and all that. So the second yeah. movie, um, actually, I liked quite a bit. Um, I thought it was scary. You know, uh, it reminded me a lot of the Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers um, when uh, I think it's Merry and Pippin are kidnapped by the Urukai. Uh, and yes. these these creatures that are on living on Endor, I don't think they're indigenous to Endor, but they are kind of orcs. I mean, they're sort of these green gobliny type creatures with a king hmm. te- Terok, I think it is, right? Yes. Um, and they kidnap the Ewoks. It's it's very kind of blood diamond, right? They invade their village. It's terrifying. Mace and his parents both are you know all killed, um, and the Sindel oh. and Wicked are kidnapped in this big bony caravan that they that they take to their evil castle. And uh, I thought that it was a really interesting storyline. They had um, the the witch woman who kind of helped them trying to find the power generator on their spaceship because somehow this King Terak guy thinks that this power is going to help them out. A little bit of backstory on that race of people. I guess they're kind of uh, pirating uh, low-intelligence species that roams the galaxy trying to find their way home, I guess. They had been mar- they were marauders, but they were kind of stranded as well from, um, from their home planet. Actually, this is, this is something from uh, looking at the cartoon, uh, the Ewok cartoons, which we're not covering on this film and stuff. But no, they're actually a race that's indigenous to the planet. They're a low-tech race who somehow and this is one of my beats with that movie, somehow managed to gather a large number of blasters, but they live in an old castle. Um, Their natural technology is like medieval, whereas the Ewoks are like Stone Age. And uh, they go around and they basically steal from all of the less developed races around um, on the planet. So they're not not marooned. Uh, they didn't. They didn't have their own spaceship. The king thought that the power converter, or the, the sorry, the fuel cell, would give him magical powers. Oh, is that but right? He doesn't. He doesn't understand that it literally makes a spaceship fly. He thinks it will make him all powerful because the uh, uh, Noah's uh, uh, partner uh, on on this crashed freighter was looking for a replacement fuel cell. And told the king about that, which is um, why they killed him, and then sought out that power, um, which they find on the Tawani family's ship. And he thinks it's going to give him magical powers, hmm. which hmm. and he has that sorceress with him, who is his agent. Which brings me to my eleventh animal that is now canon. She turns herself into a crow. Oh, that's right. Yeah, crows of are crows are now canon. <laughs> Well, birds of any species, right? I mean, we have porgs, but they don't really count. I'm sure they're all delicious. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, so comparing the two movies, uh, what was your favorite part of uh, the first one and the second one? Okay, I think um, my favorite part of the first one was the kids um, 
the, uh, all of the scenes uh, in probably the first half hour where the kids are in the Ewok village, but they, um, you know, they want to rescue their parents. They don't know how. They don't know where they are. And the Ewoks are helping them out. And Mace is very unappreciative of that. But he's there all. But we also learn a lot about the Ewoks. We learn about their culture. We get to know all the different Ewok characters. Like they have headdresses, like each uh, each son, uh, like Wicket's brothers, I guess, they all get mm-hmm. different colored headdresses uh, yeah. to somehow empower them on their journey. And I can't help but think this is a bit of a ripoff of like Native American headdresses, actually. They they look kind of goofy. So does that mean, I guess, eagles are also canon well, because where else do they get the feathers? Well, the feathers are whatever from some random bird and, and they're all dyed different colors. But um, yes, each person actually this movie reminded me a little bit of a ch- kid's version of Apocalypto. Oh, the Mel yeah, Gibson sure. movie. Well, yeah, if, the Ewoks like, have, if the Ewoks have the technology to dye feathers sure. red and blue yeah. and white, why are their headdresses that they wear so boring and just natural leather? Well, those are for spe- like the, the colorful ones are for special occasions. Like when they go on a journey, there's uh, each headdress has a different attribute, and it imbues the wearer with that magical attribute: courage, um, stamina, etc. Like my um, favorite part all... of the first movie was um, the Isarina. You know, Isarina. Oh, the... the little fairy. Yes. Yeah, the, I the think they're called Wisties. Uh, I looked it up, and uh, this little ball of light, kind of a fascinating uh, little species in Star Wars. I think they've been in a few video games, maybe. Um, I don't know. What did you think of the Wisties? It was very like Willow. Yeah. Oh, my, yes, 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 yes. Definitely Willow vibes. You get a lot of. There's a lot. I I, I really enjoyed this the the first movie as being a really simple story with a lot of classic fantasy elements. It really mm. wasn't. Star Wars, but it was very much a fantasy movie. Yeah, it works in in that sense, I guess. Um, but the Wisties were just cool to see on screen, and I, I think they actually hold up. I mean, I think because they were so weird, the design they used. I yeah. mean, they, they have kind of this light, and other than that, most of the special effects in the movies uh, look really, really chintzy by today's standards. Oh, okay, yes, uh, but actually, I took a note on that. Um, now, it, as a fan of eighties sci fi movies in general. Um, they used a specific type of matte painting here. Uh, okay, they there was of course stop motion, which um, interesting fact that was the uh, last. Uh, both those movies were the last major stop motion productions that um, uh, Industrial Light and Magic did. Oh, right? really? They they couldn't afford better special effects, and they already had all of that stop motion tech ready to go. So, um, the creatures and stuff that the stop motion creatures you see are the the last major stop motion creatures that appear there's actually uh, probably kind of more film. stop motion in these films than any other Star Wars movie. I mean with the exception Definitely. of the AT-AT walkers and the Tauntaun and mm-hmm. a few other creatures, there's not that much. Uh, this one is just replete with stop motion, especially the second film. But the um but this one and especially the first film and uh, less so in the s- second one but still there, they use something called um latent image matte paintings, which is uh, graphing of the different map paintings over the actual screen image um, that gives like just a normal forest or a plains because they basically they were filming on Earth, right? And, and a lot the of red, a lot yeah, of the red, sci- redwood yeah. forests near California, yes. San Francisco area. So a lot of a lot of low budget, and these are low budget, uh, low budget sci-fi movies. They walk around the woods, and it looks like you're walking around in the woods. Whereas here, with the latent image map paintings, 
um, they were able to take just a normal hillside, a normal desert, and by matting in these fantastical elements into portions of the screen, made it look alien enough that you could buy that it was a different world. And I, as a low-budget sci-fi fan, I appreciate that um, that technology because it really brought me into what I considered a, a different world, not just, oh, they're in California. Right. Oh. Yeah. So that well well done for both movies to take a low budget and basically take table scraps of Star Wars and make something pretty decent for what for the era and for the budget. Well, in the, in the second film, the thing, the scene that I like the most, uh, you know, it is a bit darker and more intense, but there is one mm-hmm. moment of just levity and, and, and kind of warm heartedness. And that's when the children uh, are kicked out of uh, the home of Noah um, and, and, Teak is there trying to, you know, get them in. And then eventually, uh, eventually Teak prevails and the, the children are allowed to stay. And they go out walking one day and pick some wildflowers and decide to make pies. And there's just this funny scene where they're sitting around. Uh, they bake the pies in an oven and, you know, the pies are just empty. And all of them have to sit around, uh, you know, filling their bellies with pie. And it's just such a weird scene in a Star Wars movie. You don't usually see people c- preparing food in sci-fi films, but uh, it's a major plot point to build the uh, familial kind of connection that Sindel <laughs> ends up developing with uh, with Noah, who sort of becomes a grandfather <laughs> character later in the film for her. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, he takes her with her uh, when he finally fixes his ship and leaves the planet, yes. Um, however, um, I actually disagree with that particular. I enjoyed the first little bit of the movie where it was dark. Yeah. And um, the family's trying, uh, has just fixed their spaceship, and suddenly the raiders are there, and they're, everyone's killed, and everything just, everything is just disastrous there, and they get thrown into those bone um, caravans, which are like just so, just, they're just really well done. Oh, their design is great on those. Oh, I, 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 I hadn't like I, I'd watched both these movies when I was a child, and I will, I've never forgotten those um, cages, like those uh, those those wagons that they got thrown in. Um, that was thinking about it. I wonder if the uh, the beast of burden creature that they were hauling, you know, that was hauling the caravan, actually they were yeah. using those creatures' bones to build the uh, the little prison. Yeah, very itself. possibly. Yeah. So it kind of um, hangs together, you know. The, everything seems a little motivated by you know you yeah. got these poor. Because I, I thought I thought the second movie uh, really really worked for me in the, for the most part. But he, but here's the problem um, that I have, and and it's and it's this: from the point where they are captured and put into those bone wagons, I have a major problem with about the next um, ten minutes of film. Why? Because they are captured, they escape, they're trapped in a cave, find a glider in the cave, fight a dragon monster in the cave. The dragon monster captures Sindel and flies out. Wicket jumps into the glider and takes her back from that monster. Then they land, sleep in the forest, meet um, Teak, go to Wilford Brimley's house, bake cookies, get kicked out of Wilford Brimley's house. Wilford Brimley then changes his mind and takes them back in. And that all in all takes about seven minutes. Okay, so what you're saying, okay, first of all, I'm not sure I believe you because your facts aren't straight. They did not find a glider in the cave. Wicked yes, they himself did. fashioned the glider. 
he no he did not he did not yes. they found an abandoned glider in a cave as they're escaping they go into a cave no where where they get shot at the cave uh entrance collapses so the bad guys can't get into the cave but they're trapped wicket goes oh i i can sense moving air and he goes up um they go up into the cave find a glider that is in a back entrance to the cave which is over a cliff then Wicket picks up a bone, accidentally wakes up this dragon-looking creature, which grabs Sindel and flies out of the cave. Wicket jumps into the glider, goes after them, throws a stone onto the monster's head, drops Sindel. He catches Sindel. They land in the forest. They go to sleep in the hollow of a tree, wake up uh, with Teak trying to steal their stuff. Teak then leads them to Noah's house. They bake cookies. Noah comes home, says, get out of my house. They go sit outside. Teak runs outside and gives them some food, and Noah softens his heart immediately. IG, has anyone ever called you a crazed, obsessive maniac before? Like, no, literally, literally, I timed this. This, this, that movie, um, well, the first one has a lot of issues with it. Uh, it's just, it is literally a movie for children. This one goes to much darker places. The main character doesn't actually do anything because she's an eight-year-old girl. Uh, Noah, a sixty-year-old man, ends up taking every role, saves everybody. Um, he's the main character, and it, it it just ends up being like a mess. Like we, the Ewoks, they're in the village and then immediately captured. And then are in the fortress, and we don't see them again. There's no Wick. There's no Ewok in the movie except Wicket, except for the very beginning and the very end. Well, that's it's an true. Ewok they... movie with barely any Ewoks. This story the... was essentially, yeah. you know, a serendipitous escape for Sindel back to her home culture. I mean, that that was a uh, sort of the but idea she... of the film. But she didn't do anything to get home. Like she, she didn't accomplish anything, learn anything, do anything. She's a useless. She learned bit how to make baggage. pies. She Don't already undervalued knew that, that before skill. she walked into the house. She didn't get taught to make pies. This Nobody... is this is this is my. I, I have a I have a an issue with it. I I enjoyed both movies in their own way, but the second movie was much cleaner. Uh, like in the first movie, those kids are grimy. They definitely look like they have not had a bath in two weeks. Like and they've been living in the woods. It makes right. sense. In this movie, Sindel has makeup on, obviously, for the entire thing. Um, they no matter what happens to them, their clothes are pristine. The Raiders are in absolutely flawlessly dry cleaned rags. <laughs> like every one of them is wearing this torn and tatty uniform that is spotless. Right. And the There's dirt no is, grit or realism to the it. The dirt in the um, forest couldn't have been cleaner, right? Like, it, oh, and no, literally, literally in the first one, it looked like you were in the redwood forest, as and I've been in them, right? You know, a forest is a slightly messy place. Every scene in a forest in the second movie looks like someone with a broom came in and swept away all the pebbles, twigs, and stuff. So you're walking on a completely flawlessly smooth dirt path. It was like the infield of the baseball game or something, huh? Exactly. And you're like, I'm like, what? Why? Why do that? Yeah. That 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 was something I appreciated in the first movie. It looked like these kids are in a real situation, and in the second one, everything looked silly, and the plot was silly. 
But, I mean, as a kid, I would have enjoyed it. As an adult, I noticed those details, which bother me. Um, both movies are fine for kids. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. All right, Again, well, I, if you haven't checked it out, uh, you can uh, find them online. We did have to do a little bit of searching to find good copies, uh, but they are available online, and I think now for sale as well. Um, so there you go, The Ewok, Caravan of Courage, and Battle for Endor, two Star Wars films that not everybody has seen or enjoyed like us. Faking Star Wars Listener Mail. Hey, IG, uh, the magical raven from Ewok's Battle for Endor has just brought a few envelopes to our desks in the home office. It's time for some listener mail. Be careful, Stormtrooper. That raven's a witch. <laughs> so our first question comes to us from Darth Taxus uh, uh, at Darth Taxus on Twitter, who actually is one of our uh, loyal Patreon supporters as well. Good to hear again from Darth Taxus, who asks... What species wears less clothing, Ewoks or Wookiees? And I'm just going to have to correct you, Darth. It's not what, but which. You're offering a choice, a binary choice. So which species wears less clothing, not what? Sorry about that. We're going to have to dock you 10 credits for that grammatical error. What would you say, Ooh. IG, Ewoks or Wookiees? Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty pedantic difference with the which or what. But let's see here. Um, I guess if you take a look at the Wookiees that we've seen... Um, they don't tend to wear much at all. They tend to wear more like accessories, like a bandolier or something like that. And that's not really uh, clothing. And, I mean, that's functional, yeah. but in a different way. Right. Like it, it's a belt that carries their ammo. It's like because they need ammo. It's not really like they wear any clothes at all. Uh, whereas I, uh, when you take a look at the Ewoks, they wear hoods um, on occasion. Um, some of them wear more um uh, different styles of clothing. It depends sort of on the function. Um, not a lot, but still, I'd say I'd give it to the Ewoks. Yeah, I wonder if their genitals are actually below their faces, and that's why they have those face coverings, um, because they don't have any shorts or underpants, so that could actually be their underwear. Well, I imagine that they're more like dogs, that their genitals kind of go back inside them. I see, yeah. Yeah, so well, that they're wouldn't... not visible. That wouldn't explain the face coverings. It could just be that Ewoks are uh, intergalactic kind of species of never nudes. I think they're actually just furries. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think the Wookiees wear less clothing there. Um, so uh, Coleman Peppers, who is at Rise of Five Skywalker, so that's Skywalker with a five instead of an S, writes, Longtime listener, first-time caller of Faking Star Wars Radio. Just wanted to get your thoughts on Endgame, busting all box office records held by The Force Awakens, and if you think The Rise of Skywalker will beat those records. Oh, mm. right. Well, a little bit off topic, but we like to keep it interesting here on the podcast. Have you seen Endgame yet, IG? Okay, I have not, so don't spoil it for me. Um, I, I actually plan on hitting that tomorrow. Okay, so, cool. Like, it's in theaters. I just, I just have been really, really busy with work, so right, I haven't right. found the time. Um, uh, I know you've seen it. I have seen um, it. Everyone dies, and everyone comes back. No one's ever really exactly. gone. Exactly. I mean, I think it was honestly just um, a natural conclusion. Uh, you know what? Let's just make this the Star Wars conclusion movie, and we're good. Yeah, I mean, they are basically the same plot uh, if Sheev does come back and Rise of Skywalker. Um, I'm not sure. I think if the movie came out right now, I think the endgame would definitely beat it. I don't think they've done enough 
uh, to really get the word out for the general public. I know that uh, Star Wars fans are excited, but remember that Endgame just does, you know, that kind of movie just does colossal uh, sales in countries like China, where Star Wars is historically not very popular. So I'm going to say it's going to be tough for Rise of Skywalker to to reach the same status as Endgame. Marvel movies have an appeal worldwide. Uh, Star Wars does not. Yep. Uh, and this is something I think we should bring up in a future podcast. I think, like, when we get the movies that we get from Star Wars, they're trying to be Avengers or they're trying to be Transformers or some amalgam. Um, and that's the, one of the big problems with what we're getting these days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have to see what happens with the new trilogy that Ryan Johnson and, and Benioff and Weiss are doing. Um, they, they're probably going to make something that is more palatable to the Chinese palate. Ah, yeah. The thing is, though, like if you take a look at what's palatable to the Chinese palate, it's not strictly sci-fi. It's action. That's, and that's true. the problem. They're always trying to make an action movie and action movies don't have a lot of plot. And what we like about the original trilogy was it had a great plot. Yeah, the characterization and stuff. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't think we're I don't think we're going to see anything beat Endgame anytime soon. Possibly Avatar 2 when it comes out uh, in no. 2036 or whenever it is. That might have a chance. Uh, I'm actually not that excited to see that. I think Avatar was fine alone. I don't I don't really need to see any follow-ups to that. No. Yeah. Well, it no. should be interesting anyway. Um I would recommend seeing Endgame. Uh it's not as good as Star Wars is, but uh it's definitely something you'll you'll want to catch. Um unfortunately, unfortunately though, um for IG, he doesn't know the secret of Endgame, which is that it's actually just the Infinity War movie played again. Well, that would not be bad because the Infinity War was pretty good. So, right, it's actually they actually take the highlights of the last twenty-two movies and just put them into like a clip show reel, and that's it. Oh, you know, I've already seen that on YouTube, so it'll be like watching something familiar and uh, something I like already. Well, if you have a question or a comment and you'd like to get at us, you can send it to Storm Duper on Twitter or uh, Faking Star Wars, and we'll make sure to read your question on the next episode. Okay, IG, that's about all we have time for this week. Please let the listeners know where they can find us. Well, you can follow Faking Star Wars on Twitter and Instagram at at Faking Star Wars and on Facebook at facebook.com slash real faking Star Wars. If you would like, please submit a question for us on Twitter using the hashtag FSWRadio, and we will try to read it next week. And you can get official Faking Star Wars t-shirts and other gear on TeePublic, that's T-E-E, public.com, slash user slash Faking Star Wars. There are new designs going up all the time. And if you want, follow me on Twitter at StormDuper. And of course, um... You can never follow me at all, for I am invisible. Go ahead and follow FSW Radio on Twitter and Instagram as well. And if you like what you hear here and want to support us, please visit patreon.com slash fakingstarwars. Sign up to be a patron. Not only do you support us financially so that we can bring you this content, um, but you also get a reward. You can join for as little as a buck a month. Um, people like Darth Taxis have joined at the Fake Jedi Knight tier. Thank you very much. Um, if you do join, go ahead and send us a tweet and we'll give you a shout out. I will post a screenshot of you on my phone. Have you written us a review yet? 
If not, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. If you write a funny review, we may read it on an upcoming episode. Yeah, I recommend using Stitcher if you don't have iTunes to listen. Uh, it's a very easy-to-use app uh, or website to find the, uh, to find the podcast and write a review for us on there as well. Yeah, that's actually the one I use as well to uh, listen to our episodes. To go back over and to hear all your mistakes and stupidities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all Boy, of my uh, dual of the fakes mistakes. You, you must be, I mean, you'd have to go over with such a fine-tooth comb, you'd be responsible for like half of their bandwidth, I'd think. There's hours of me getting faking, uh, or sorry, uh, dual of the fakes wrong. <laughs> we should we should make a greatest hits. Yeah, that would be great, yeah. Um, as always, please stay tuned to FakingStarWars.net for a quality Star Wars comedy parody satire. And thanks to you for listening and for following. This being May the 4th, I have nothing else to say, but may the foe be with you. See you all next time. Good night, everybody.